Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. This is Anastasia Yuglova on Thursday, May 3rd. In Reason Magazine's online edition, Cato's Director of Foreign Policy Studies, Christopher Preble, takes a stab at explaining Senator Clinton's peculiar foreign policy decisions. In today's interview, the subject of discussion with Chris is just that, Senator Clinton and the war in Iraq. What I gathered from your article is that you think the explanation for Senator Clinton's dissent in the polls recently comes down to the single-issue question of Iraq. Well, I certainly think it's a big issue. Obviously, for most Democrats, the Iraq war is a very important issue. It is for most Americans, and overwhelmingly, Democrats are opposed to the war. They want to bring it to an end. They want a timetable for withdrawal, all of those things. And Senator Clinton's support for the war resolution back in October 2002 has not sat very well with the base of her party, not surprisingly. In her defense, quite a number of other Democrats voted for the war as well, including some people who are also running for president, like Joe Biden. But she has been in this difficult position of trying to differentiate herself from Senator Obama, who was not in a position to cast a vote in October of 2002. So he has the advantage of being able to say, I was always opposed to the war, even though he didn't have to cast a vote. And she has to explain, or at least try to explain, why she voted the way she did back in October 2002. Where do Americans stand at the present moment on the Iraq issue? I mean, by the numbers, how many support a pullout and how many still support our military operations there? What you see is that the high point of the support for the war, which is right after the toppling of Saddam's statue in April of 2003, public support was about 74, 75%. And ever since that time, it has kind of been a steady decline. There have been a few upticks along the way, but it has declined quite precipitously. And what you see now is that a majority, quite a solid majority of Americans now think it was a mistake to go to war in the first place. And a growing number agree that there should be some kind of a withdrawal timetable. So the question that I asked was, quite a number of Americans have changed their minds. They thought it was a good idea in April 2003. Over time, they have seen the costs, and the costs have vastly exceeded their expectations. The benefits seem quite hard to fix. We don't really know when or if we will achieve our goals. And therefore, not surprisingly, quite a number of Americans have changed their minds. How do you interpret her failure to apologize for her vote, given her current support for troop withdrawal and her criticism of Bush's handling of the war? Most of Senator Clinton's criticism of the war has been the Bush administration's conduct of the war. In other words, she has not renounced her decision to support the war in the first place. She believes, at least we have to assume she believes, that it was the right thing to do, but she is frustrated and disappointed, as are many Americans, with the way in which the Bush administration has carried it out. And obviously there have been a number of mistakes made along the way, and those have made the situation much worse. But the question then becomes, would she support a operation, a similar operation in the future if she were confident that those kinds of mistakes would not be made. And of course, if she was the president and she was responsible, she was in charge, then she would try not to make the same mistakes. And I think that's a problem. In her initial decision to support the Iraq war, Senator Clinton has been accused of calculated political pandering to the whims of her constituents. But you're of the mind that Senator Clinton genuinely believed in the president's prerogative to go to Iraq. The rationale guiding the decision to go to war, and this is what she cited in her speech on the floor of the Senate when she cast her vote in October 2002, she pointed to her husband's decision back in 1999 to wage war against Yugoslavia to compel the Serbs to come to terms 
over Kosovo. And she believed in the president's prerogative to wage these kind of military campaigns, even when there was no compelling U.S. national interest at stake. There was a humanitarian mission, and there, there was a humanitarian aspect to the war in Iraq as well. And the question becomes, how likely is it that an operation, a future operation that's designed to remove a regime and replace it with a more friendly one will not encounter the same kinds of problems that we're encountering today in Iraq. I think that was the principled objection to going to war in the first place. And I think it's kind of borne out in the way that the war in Iraq has developed. The problem of a country that was bitterly divided ethnically, that was not amenable to a long-term U.S. occupation, most countries are not, of course, and the problem of the exit strategy. What was the plan for getting out? So the experience in Haiti, Bosnia, Kosovo were all things that encouraged her vote on Iraq. But there's a difference in kind there, isn't there, between Kosovo and the situation in Iraq? Right. There's no question that the scale of the military operations that were initiated by President Bill Clinton in the 1990s is much, much smaller than what we're talking about in Iraq, both in terms of the numbers of troops involved and in terms of the risks, the downside risks, how much worse could things get. Whereas in Iraq, we are faced with a situation of a civil war of growing and expanding and perhaps even threatening a regional conflict, which is of great concern. And so it's true that the kinds of operations that President Clinton engaged in were different in terms of the scale, but the premise underlying it, the premise that the United States would retain the ability to engage in these kinds of operations independent of what the international community said or whether we had international partners or not, that is still sound. And I think looking forward that Mrs. Clinton, who wants to have this kind of authority herself as the chief executive, as the commander-in-chief, she does not want Congress to be in a position to tie her hands. Exactly. And as you write in your conclusion, that can't be much comfort to Americans anxious for a new direction in U.S. foreign policy. I'm wondering what that new direction is. If you look at the polling data, Americans are overwhelmingly opposed to the U.S. being the world's policeman. We believe that it is correct and proper for the United States to have a leading role, maybe even the leading role, but not the sole leading role, not the only country in the world capable and willing of taking action against bad guys and bad actors. And over the last 15 years, since the end of the Cold War, we've contributed to this perception that if we don't do it, no one else will. And I think we really need to get away from that. There are a lot of other countries in the world that have an interest in what happens in the Middle East, that have an interest in what happens in East Asia, that have an interest in what happens in Africa. And to think that the United States is the only country that has the capacity or the will to deal with it, that's problematic. I would hope the lesson that Senator Clinton has taken away from this experience, and I think it's what many Americans have, is that these kinds of operations are very expensive. There's a lot of unintended consequences. We don't know how they're going to play out. And it's better to kind of err on the side of caution. And that means to kind of resume our non-interventionist impulse. It is to say, if there is not a compelling national security at stake, if there's not an imminent threat, then intervention is something we should only resort to as a last resort. Thank you, Chris, for that thoughtful commentary. I'd like to remind listeners that comments and suggestions are always appreciated. Email me at auglova at cato.org if you have feedback to share. Also, the new Cato videocast has just been launched. You can catch the first episode of Cato Weekly Video on our website, www.cato.org.